just the reminder, I was, I was, was reminded even the, this morning, uh, looking at some memories on Facebook, that um, <clears throat> so this Wednesday will be the five-year anniversary of when I started here at EBC, and I'm really um, wanted to say this morning, I'm very thankful that you have welcomed our family, supported our family uh, through lots of different trials and different situations in our life, and um, seeing us have the kids that we have and other things. So thank you for your support the last five years uh, as we've served here at EBC. I hope for five and more and many more than that uh, years serving here. We love, love being here at EBC, so thank you for your support over these years. Um, <clears throat> so you might have seen here that I have this trophy here. So I, the, other, the other update that I wanted to give with the student ministry uh, this morning is so we um, have the last couple of years we've been doing the sand volleyball tournament here with all the different youth ministries in our area. Um, so this past Wednesday we had our tournament uh, for this year. Um, and so this is the trophy we had. And again, you might have saw on Facebook, but so we won in 2021 and then I wrote it on there too. We won this year as well. So we won the tournament again this year. So our church keeps, keeps the trophy here with us. Uh, but what I wanted to say about this trophy is I just want you to imagine if, uh, you know, I'm not saying that I'm not very thankful that we won this trophy and I'm proud of our students for winning it, but imagine if this trophy was my greatest treasure in life, that I put the greatest treasure in this sand volleyball tournament, that I carried it with me everywhere and talked about it all the time, and it was the greatest, greatest treasure to me. You would think I'm pretty crazy, right? That you would think this is, this is the thing that matters to me the most. And that's often how I view even anything that we put treasure in that's, that's physical, things that are in this life. So I want you to imagine, what, what is the thing that you would say that you treasure the most? I'm not talking about, I mean, we, we could talk about spiritual things, but I'm just thinking about like on earth, you're fi- something physical or a person or something. What is it that you treasure the most? I want you to think about that in your mind. I want us to be reminded this morning as we go through and, and study this psalm that we're going to study, that God has given us a precious treasure for all of life that is above any of the things that you could think of in your mind this morning. Anything that came to mind when you were thinking about what you treasure the most, it's a, whether it's a person or a, a physical thing or something that you, that you have as a talent or a gift that you treasure very much. Those things might not necessarily be bad, but they don't compare to the most precious treasure that God gives us, which is his steadfast love, or we talked today about the idea of his loving kindness towards us. The ultimate act of that loving kindness, where did we see that? We saw that on the cross, that God would send his son down, Jesus, to die on the cross, to live that perfect life, to rise again on the third day so that we could be saved. That's the ultimate act of that loving kindness but he continues to show us loving kindness day after day after day. So we've been going through the the book of Psalms, different ones throughout this uh, summer season. Um, Pastor Aaron was in Psalm 132 last week looking at the idea of, of God's dwelling with his people, how it's both encouraging and challenging to us that God dwells with his people. That what's, it, it stands out about Christianity is that God desires to dwell with his people. And that's where we were last week with Pastor Aaron in Psalm 132. So I'd have you open your Bibles to Psalm chapter 36. That's where we're going to be this morning, Psalm chapter 36. So again, this is the, the end of the first Psalter. So we were all the way in Psalm 132 towards the end of the Psalter last week. We're going back towards 
the end of the first book of the Psalter, because it's basically kind of 1 through 39, so we're at 36 here. This is the end of the first book of the Psalter. And this is a string of psalms that are written by David. Um, and this one is in particularly sandwiched in between Psalm 35 and Psalm 37, which are discussing the idea of the greatness of God uh, and then the protection of God. And within that, in the in sandwich in between talking about God's greatness and God's protection over us, we see this psalm and the idea of God's steadfast love. I think Pastor Aaron has brought it up during his, his talk on, and during the Psalms, but it's the idea of hesed. It's that Hebrew word, hesed, for love, which is the idea of everlasting, steadfast love. And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. That's kind of the context of Psalm 36 where we are. The greatest treasure for all of life comes in God's covenant love, his hesed love, his loving kindness for us. So would you follow along with me? We're going to start by reading in verse 1 through 4. Psalm 36, 1 through 4, and David writes, Transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes, for he flatters himself in his own eyes that his iniquity cannot be found and hated. The words of his mouth are trouble and deceit. He has ceased to act wisely and do good. He plots trouble while on his bed, he sets himself in a way that is not good. He does not reject evil. So we see here, this isn't the most kind or enjoyable start to reading this passage, right? But it kind of harkens, I mean, to the future. We look foreshadowing to the future when Paul would write in Ephesians chapter 2, where he tells us that we are saved by grace through faith alone. But he has to tell us about where we were or where we are before that can happen, right? We are wicked. We are Beyond help, we, we need, we can't do anything on our own to get ourselves back to God. And that's the reminder here as well. And I want you to know, I mean, we don't have to spend and dwell a lot of time on this, but we know the culture we live in, right? We've had some major things happening. We, in June is Pride Month, right? We, we, they celebrate Pride Month in our country. It's all over the place. We also have the Roe versus Wade decision that was just, just came across about the idea of abortion and the, the fighting back and forth. We see wickedness on social media, in our neighborhoods, at our jobs, at our schools. We're just, we see it. It's, it's prevalent. It's around. We know it's there. And I, I do believe we as Christians should push back and speak truth about these sinful issues in our culture. We need to live distinct lives from the world and live consistent lives ourselves so people of the world can see the difference and the distinction between what it means to follow God and what it doesn't. But I also know that these people that are living these lifestyles and doing these certain things are blinded by their sin. They don't have a relationship with God. And my belief is, is when we see these things, what, Paul, or what David or what, what Paul would have written in Ephesians chapter 2, what he says about people that don't know Christ, what, what, we, what we are before we knew Christ, is instead of being angry and being upset and, and posting things and doing things out of hatred and anger and judgment, I think our first Step should always be to, to pity those people and have compassion. Because we all were there before Christ. We all were sinners. We all struggled with these things. And so instead of our attitude often towards non-Christians can be judgment and anger and just, just wanting to constantly fight up against them, I think we need to do a better job as a church, as Christians, 
to heavily lean on the attitude of pity and compassion and show Christ to them because that's what they need. So we see here in this passage, in verse 1, transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. Here is four verses that give us characteristics of what it means to be wicked or to not have Christ or be outside of God or the idea of the character traits of the wickedness of man. So David reminds us here that the transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. So deep within a person that does not have a relation with God is sinfulness and wickedness and a desire to serve self and to, ser- to, to fear man, to struggle with sin. It's deep within their hearts. It says that transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. And that's why it's so special to when we get become that new creation, right? Because we have that rooted out of our hearts. We, we are given a new heart. We are a new creation. So we no longer have transgression speaking deep to us in our heart. This, the second half of verse 1, there is no fear of God before his eyes. This is a specific conversation for those that are wicked without forgiveness from God because of their lack of faith. They are unbelievers. So they don't care about God, really. In a sense, he doesn't matter to them. It doesn't matter what he says or what he tells us to do. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Sin is deep in their heart. They flatter themselves by pride. It says in verse 2, for he flatters himself in his own eyes that his iniquity cannot be found out and hated. They're avoiding confession. The words of his mouth are trouble and deceit. He has ceased to act wisely and do good. There's no good within them. Now again, we know that non-Christians can live and do things that are godly temporarily. They can do things, they can be kind and generous and, and do those things. But in general, it's usually out of a desire to build themselves up and to puff themselves up and not for the glory of God. So we see here there's characteristics of what it means to be wicked. It's a wickedness that is sinful. Verse 4, he plots trouble while on his bed. He sets himself in a way that is not good. He does not reject evil. So you see in this passage that over and over again, it is listing out these things that help us understand where we were before we knew God and where people are that do not know God. He's constantly plotting trouble. He's wicked. He's, his words of his mouth are trouble. He's flattering himself. He does not fear God. And the transgression, the sinfulness is deep within their heart. They act foolishly. They, they act without goodness towards others. That is where we are before God. That is where we are if we do not have a relationship with God. And because of that, we are separated from God. Because again, I want to remind us this morning, we are not comparing ourselves to each other. Our comparison when we are talking about holiness is to a holy God, a perfect holy God. So if we try to take the, these wickedness of our hearts and try to, to handle it on our own, we will fail every time because we cannot reach to God on our own. We can't just do more good things and help out more people and be more generous. And We can't do any of that. We have to put our faith and trust in what happens and what we see in the following verses. One of the things I think this passage really implies to us this morning is that wickedness will always be exposed. You will see it, you will know it, it is there. And in our own hearts, when we put our head on our pillow at night, when we are living our lives, when we are alone, we will often 
feel it. We will know it. We will know that what we're doing, there's something not right. We're not living right. Things are not going the way, the way that they should. Wickedness will always be exposed. It will be judged on this earth or it will be judged in the, in, the, in, the time, in the life to come. Wickedness will always be exposed, always will be judged. And the last verse of this passage, we'll go, back to, we'll go to it later, but it says in verse 12 of the, chapter 36, there the evildoers lie fallen. They are thrust down, unable to rise. It's a reminder to us that forever there will be wickedness being exposed. In this life or the next, the person will be judged for their wickedness. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, how do we get out of this judgment that's going to come? How are we going to deal with the exposure of our wickedness that will happen eventually? There's only one answer to that. There's only one way out of that, and that is through a relationship in, with Jesus Christ, his steadfast love, which we will speak of here in a moment. So when people choose to reject God and live life for themselves, naturally their lifestyles will have certain characteristics. We should not be all, at all surprised when we look around the world right now and we see the things that we just read of in these four verses from David. Sometimes we need to push back, but sometimes, many times, we need to show compassion and tell people about the only way they can be rescued from this deep sin in their lives. Solomon, um, helping us understand what we are called to do with, with this, writes in Proverbs chapter 6, verses 12 through 16. A worthless person, a wicked man, goes about with crooked speech, winks with his eyes, signals with his feet, points with his finger, with perverted heart, devises evil. Continually sowing discord. Therefore, calamity will come upon him suddenly. In a moment, he will be broken beyond healing. There is coming a time when the judgment for evil and, and the wicked will happen, whether in death or the return of Jesus. The only answer for these people and our goal as believers is to show them how they can be rescued from this through the eternal, steadfast love of God that we serve. Lest we also need to be, to be reminded this morning that we can fall into these same temptations, even as Christians. That, those, that list there is being written directly towards what we see in the world with people that are unbelievers, but we can fall into these temptations and struggles as well. So we need to be reminded by David that this can be a problem in our own life. We still need daily forgiveness. We still need that steadfast of, of the Lord every single day. Would you follow along with me in verse 5? Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the mountains of God. Your judgments are like the great deep. Man and beast you save, O Lord. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink for the river of your delights. For you, for with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. Can you think of a time in your life or, or times in your life where you have really felt the deep love of God? Can you think of moments in your life where you've really felt the Lord working in your life and showing you who he is and what he wants you to do in your life? Have you felt those moments? I think of, of the loneliness of post-college life for me. 
I think I've shared this with you before, but I, I desired to, to go into sports broadcasting when I was, since I was a little kid. That's what I wanted to do. But the Lord had other plans for me. He had other callings for my life. But I felt pretty lonely as the Lord shut those doors, as I was living kind of on my own, as I was struggling to know what the Lord was calling me to do. And I, I remember, I mean, other people helped me and prayed for me, but I remember some very deep times of communion with God during that time, that he really drew me closer to a relationship with him, which prepared me for the calling of ministry that he was giving me. And I also think about the struggle um, of singleness that I had. I, I really, for years, desired to be married and saw a lot of my friends getting married and, and felt kind of even lonely during that time. But again, the Lord used that time to have many moments of deep communion with him and to draw me closer to, to, to a relationship with him, which helped me to be able to be a better husband and father when that time came. And so I, I'm really thankful that the Lord brought me through some of those seasons. Um, and sometimes the Lord is, I've had deep communion even when things weren't ba going bad and things that weren't not going like what I had, uh, those examples that I gave. But God calls us to, to rest in his steadfast love. He, he calls us to take a, set aside all the other things that we would want to put our trust in in this world, the things that we treasure, the things that we want, and to rest in the Hesed love, that steadfast love, that loving kindness. Just like he wrote in this passage that David the Lord has given us through David in, the, in here in Psalm chapter 36. He says in verse 5, Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. We cannot even fathom the depth that God has love for us. We can see glimpses of it. We can feel it in deep communion at times in our life, but we never will be able to fully comprehend how much God loves us. It says it there, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Everything else in this life will let you down at some point, will go away. But God's eternal, steadfast, loving kindness, hesed, steadfast love will never let us down, ever. There is not a single place that the faithful love of God does not reach. Above the heavens, below the earth, God's love spreads all over. There will be times, I promise you, in this life where you will not feel that. There have been times in my life where I did not feel that, that hesed love, where I just felt, Lord, why are you taking me through this trial? Why am I struggling with this? Why have you not answered my prayers in the ways that I desire? But I promise you, even in those moments, God's steadfast love is there. Max Lucado says this, you can endure change, even the worst kind, by pondering his permanence. His permanent steadfast love, if we continue to ponder on that, no matter what we go through, he will be there. His love will be there. The righteousness and judgments of God are always good. It says there in verse 6, Your righteousness is like the mountains of God. Your judgments are like the great deep. Man and beast you save, O Lord. You see the sovereignty of God coming through there, right? Life and death are in the hands of God. His righteousness is, that he gives us comes from him. 
His judgments are greater than anything that we see on this earth. We often have a very narrow view of of God's love. We view it only by what we can see. And that's natural, right? We're human beings. We we go by what we can see, hear, and touch. The physical, we, we think along those lines. But God's telling us to think beyond that, to stretch our minds and our emotions beyond that. And also, another thing, to recognize that we aren't going to know all of it. We're not going to understand all of it because we are not God. We need to trust and rely on him to, for all of these things, but we are not going to know all about him. We're not going to know all about his love, but we need to know even in the hard times, even the, in, the, in the struggles, we still can trust in him. We know that we can. And let me tell you, it is worth it to put our trust in his steadfast love. Again, it may not feel like it all the time. We may not always want to, but it is worth it because his steadfast love is the only th- eternal thing that we have to stand on in this life. Verse 7 through 9, he talks about the tangible, the tangible nature of his steadfast love, his loving kindness. He says, how precious is your steadfast love, O God, that precious treasure that is beyond all things. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. It's that, that idea of that protection, that covering over, that we have a God that loves us enough to, that we can take refuge with him. We know that we can be comforted by him, that he will protect us, that he will love us, he will care for us. He also uses the idea of food and drink as an illustration. They feast on the abundance of your house and you give them drink from the river of your delights. We often think, or maybe we don't think of it, we often hear people say that God does, is a killjoy. He doesn't give me what, my, what I want. He doesn't give me all the desires of my heart. Part of the reason he doesn't is because he does, really, all the reason is because he doesn't love, it's because he does love us. He wants us to have a good life, an abundant life, but he's the one that started this earth. He created it. He's the one that created us. So he knows what's best for us. So it is our decision that we have to make to humble ourselves, to say, I trust you, I believe in you, I believe your love is worth it, to stand on it, to live by it, that you are going to give me the delights of my heart, you are going to give me the drink from the river of your delights, that, you're going to, that I'm going to be able to feast on the abundance of your house. Our flesh desires all these different pleasures and comfort and safety and things of life, But God has something better for us, which is his steadfast love that we can stand on forever. So it's tangible. It's it's visible, right? It says there, for with you it is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. How great is it that we serve a God that wants to speak in our language so that we understand at least a glimpse about how great his steadfast love is, how great his righteousness is, how great his judgments are, how he's sovereign, he's control over everything. He gives us illustrations, visible ways of us understanding who he is. We should show that, we should understand that as grace upon grace that God desires to show who he is to us. But one of the things I want to be clear on this passage, I think we need to, we need to challenge ourselves about this, is that often we, we 
have a relationship with God where it's God plus these other things. That we want to have all these, these pleasures, this comfort and safety in our life. That we, we have this relationship with God. We come to church. We talk about God. We believe in him. But we also have all these other things over here that are important to us and we treasure them and, and sometimes they come on the same par as our relationship with God. What he is telling us in this passage is that his steadfast love is so precious that everything else pales so much in comparison. Everything else pales in comparison to a relation with him. All we need is his love. You know, the, the Beatles sang that song all those years ago, all, all we need is love. But the truth of the matter is that all we, all we do need is love, but it's not the love the Beatles sang of. It's the love of God, the steadfast love of God. That's what we need. We need that in a relationship. We often are dissatisfied. We often are looking for other ways to give us pleasure and, and, and a great life and comfort. But what we need to do is we need to praise the Lord. We need to worship him. We need to understand him. We need to love him. What does H.A. Ironside say? We would worry less if we praised more. Thanksgiving is the great enemy of discontent and dissatisfaction. And this passage reminds us here, there's going to be temptations in this world for you to, to put on par with your relationship or even above it. You're going to have idols, things that you're going to want to treasure in this life. People, stuff, gifts, your job, whatever it might be. But what God is saying is, turn your eyes away from those things and turn your eyes up to me. Turn your eyes away from those things and give your eyes to me. Because my relationship with you is above all other things. If you want to be satisfied, you want your delights in this life, you want to have an abundant life, then stand on my steadfast love. That's what David tells us and that's what God desires for us to know this morning. So again, the depth of God's love is beyond our imagination. We only see a small glimpse of it, of this great loving kindness. I hope this morning this passage will help you to see the worthiness of God. How much he wants to lavish this love upon you. I don't know where you're at in your life this morning. I don't, I don't know what struggles you're going through, what season of life you're in. I know some of, things that you're, some of you are going through, but I don't know all of the things that are going on in your heart that you're wrestling with this morning. But I want to remind you of one thing, that his loving kindness is great, and the Lord wants to lavish his love upon you. So receive it. Live in it. Make it to be your foundation for your life. Satan loves to distract us with all kinds of different temptations. Maybe it be like the illustration he uses today about food. Maybe it's food and drink that we put our satisfaction in, that we're wanting to have that, and it satisfies our craving for a time. Maybe it's a person, a relationship. Maybe it's any of those type of things that, that we strive for to make, to make us known and also for us to be able to feel like we're satisfied by having that relationship. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's money. Uh, not necessarily are these things sinful in themselves, but they can be when they become idols and they become what you put your treasure in and what you put your satisfaction in. So again... We need to put our trust in the everlasting loving kindness of God. It's the only thing that's going to get you through the hard times. It's the only thing that's going to keep you humble in the good times. 
It's the only thing that's going to help you to live a life that is honoring to God. Follow along with me in verse 10 as we finish up this passage. Oh, continue your steadfast love to those who know you and your righteousness to the upright of heart. Let not the foot of arrogance come upon me, nor the hand of the wicked drive me away. There the evildoers lie fallen. They are thrust down, unable to rise. So again, a part of this precious treasure this morning is the idea that God's faithful love protects. We, we, we read that in that passage in the shadow of being taken refuge in the shadow of your wings. But we see here that part of that precious treasure, that loving kindness of God, is that he faithfully protects us. You know the uh, famous Aesop fable called The Boy Who Cried Wolf? You probably heard that story before, of this, 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 this story of the, the, the young boy that is, is continually crying out to the town folk that there's a, there's a wolf there, but he's not telling the truth. He's being dishonest. He's just trying to get attention, and he keeps saying over and over again, hey, he cries out wolf, and eventually what do the townspeople do? They, they just don't even believe him, right, because he just keeps saying it over and over again. Um, and he eventually a, a wolf does come, an actual real one, and the townspeople are all, it's, it's over. They're gone because they, didn't, they listened to the boy who cried wolf and they didn't believe him anymore. And how often have our hearts turned to become like the townspeople in this famous story? We're, God, God's not a, not, a, not a boy that's crying wolf when he doesn't need to. God is telling us the truth. Us, as we stand up here in the pulpit, as we tell you the gospel week after week, we are telling you this because we love you. And God is telling us in his word over and over again about his steadfast love. Why? Because he really does love us that much. And we need to keep hearing it. We don't need to be like the townsfolk in this story and just, well, we've heard this a hundred times. We don't need to hear it anymore. We don't, we don't even really, we, it kind of becomes seared in our, we don't even think about it anymore. It doesn't even matter that much to us anymore. Our fickle hearts need to hear this steadfast love reminded to us day after day. We need the gospel day after day because we often are not faithful. So let our hearts be redirected, reignited to the, to the idea this morning of God's faithful love that protects us from ourselves and evildoers around us. Because there, let's, let's look at the first part, protection from ourselves. Verse 10, oh, Continue your steadfast love to us who know you and your righteousness to the upright of heart. Let not the foot of arrogance come upon me nor the hand of the wicked drive me away. You know what's interesting is as a part of that everyday steadfast love is we need protection from ourselves. Our own sinful hearts get in the way of us standing on God's steadfast love. We are tempted by different sins. We, are, we get weary from difficult seasons of life that we sometimes are our own worst enemy when it comes to this. We need protection from our own hearts. We need God through the Holy Spirit to, to help us to recognize our own sinful hearts and to work through those things and to ask for forgiveness and to change, to have our new hearts cleansed. So David here pleads with God to keep that steadfast love and his righteousness there that we put our faith and trust in him, that he will keep it, that every day it will be there. We need these daily reminders. We also need to be more willing, willing to plead for God to show mercy upon our, our undeserving souls because of God's grace. 
We don't often do that. We don't often in our everyday lives confess and ask God and plead God to forgive us and show us grace because we need grace every day. We are saved once, but we need grace every day. We need God's grace to continue to work in our hearts. It's not a one-time thing. But our, our pride and our satisfaction that we try to get from idols get in the way. Our first problem in our walk with God isn't from the outside, it's from the inside. So we need that reminder. We need God to tell us and to show us that his steadfast love is there. His forgiveness is still there. His grace is still there. We need the steadfast love of the Lord. But then he also reminds us that we do need protection from evildoers from the outside. He says there in verse 12, even that whole section there, but verse 12 especially, therefore the evildoers lie fallen. They are thrust down, unable to rise. One of the things that I've been challenged by more recently from from the word of God and actually reading John Piper's Providence book is a reminder to us that God is sovereign over everything that's going on in this earth. So when we see world leaders doing things that we don't like, when we see things happening all over the earth, God is in control over all those things. It's not like God has just stepped back and allow everything just to happen. God is in control of everything that is happening. So when people are doing evil against us, when people have evil intentions against us and sinning against us, God is working through all of those things. But one thing we can know, that even if it doesn't happen in this life, in the future, God will judge. God, there will be judgment. But I think about the, the non-Christians, the un- unbelievers that have done evil to me or sinned against me. My greatest desire for that person is not to be judged. My greatest desire is that that judgment falls on Christ. That that person will come to know Christ and will follow them. That, that goes back to that idea of the pity and the compassion that we should have for non-believers. But I can promise you there will be judgment for those that have sinned, that have done evil things, that have gone against God. If people choose to not follow Jesus as their Lord and Savior, there will be judgment, forever judgment. And we can uh, stand tall on that, that God is sovereign in control and he will judge for those that do not follow him. It says here, and I, I, also, I also think back to, to the story of Ezra. And maybe you've read this story in the Bible, the story with Ezra and Nehemiah where they're trying to rebuild the wall and there's people that come there and try to stop what they're doing. They're, trying to, they're heckling them or they're trying to get the king to, to stop the work that's being done in the rebuilding of the wall. But you see there that God is in control of that. God works everything out to where their heckling and their trying to reach the king does not work and they are able to rebuild the wall and rebuild the city and do the things that God desired. God has a plan for this earth. God is sovereignly in control of it. So even when there's evil doing, when there's suffering, when there's struggle, God's still working through those things. We can believe and we can trust that God will do what he says in verse 12, that the evil evil doers lie fallen. They are thrust down, unable to rise because God is in control. God is sovereignly in control. We all need the reminder today that God is faithful. His Hesed love never ends. So wherever you're at in your life today, I challenge you, I encourage you 
to think upon, ponder upon the love of God that is in your life. If you are here this morning and you have never received Jesus as Lord and Savior, if you've never been, have started that relationship that gives you that opportunity to have that steadfast love forever, I encourage you that the Lord is drawing you to a relationship, that he wants to, you to know him. He wants you to be saved from your sins. And if you have questions about that, have a desire to start a relationship, please talk to myself or one of the elders in the church, and we'd love to discuss that with you. But if you are a Christian, if you're a believer here this morning, let us leave here this morning pondering and living in the steadfast love of God, which is a beyond all things. Let us take that treasure that God has given us and allow it to give us lives of worship, of sharing with others, generosity, and, and living out lives that are abundant. We're going to struggle. We're going to have seasons of, of difficulty, but we always know that we can go back to the steadfast love of God. It is the precious treasure that we have been given. Let us stand on the truths of Scripture. I, I love what Jim said earlier about maybe, maybe someday that we will not be able to stand up here like this and read Scripture and, and talk about it and preach about it and teach about it. But I can promise you that I will never stop telling you about the steadfast love of God. I don't care what government or what person tells me I can't do it. I will continue to tell you about the steadfast love of God because we all need to hear it day after day. We all need it day after day. So let's stand on it together. Would you stand with me as we close in prayer? Lord, we are so grateful to come into your house today. Lord, I, I'm thankful for your steadfast love. Lord, we don't deserve it. We can't earn it. You just freely give it. And all we can say is thank you, Lord. We praise your name. We worship you for giving us your steadfast love. Lord, even sometimes when we don't feel it and we don't even sometimes in our life live, live out the things that show us that we believe in this, Lord, you're still there. You're there to forgive us. You're there to, to help us to, to start to feel it again. Lord, to, you're just there with us always, and we're thankful for that. Lord, I, I pray that we will be reminded from the words of David today about the importance of the way that we live with nonbelievers who live out what they are. Lord, we know that people that don't know you are going to live that way. And so, Lord, help us to have pity and compassion and to pray for and to share with those that do not know you. Lord, and I pray if there is people in this room this morning that do not have a personal relationship with you, Lord, that you would draw them to yourself. Lord, help them to be convicted by your word. Help them to desire to know you more, to have that relationship which will give them the steadfast love that is for eternity. Lord, I, I also just um, want to think of um, with, with Kay Pruitt's passing yesterday, Lord, I'm, I'm so thankful that she knew you and that she's in your arms now, Lord. Lord, she, she, she's getting to do what I want to do someday as well and just really, even in a more deeper way, understand your steadfast love. So, Lord, just be with their whole family that is still here on earth. Lord, just be with them as they just comfort them and, and support them and help our church to do anything we can to surround their family during this this time of loss.
but thank you for Kay's life and her dedication to our church, and Lord, I just pray that you will continue to um, just be with the family through this time. But Lord, just be uh, with us as we sing songs of response and praise today, Lord, because I believe that is, that is the thing we do when we hear these words. We, we praise and we worship because that is the main thing we should do when we know of what you've done for us. So Lord, just continue to work in all of our hearts and our, the different seasons of life we're in and the different struggles we have and different praises in our life, Lord, that we will stay humble and that we will stand on your steadfast love. Lord, help us leave here this morning loving you more and understanding more of your love and wanting to be motivated to live for you and live that abundant life that you have given us. Thank you so much, Lord, for your steadfast love and and your loving kindness towards us. We pray all this in your great and gracious name. Amen.